Welcome to the Sardis Fellowship Sermon Podcast. Today's message was originally preached on Sunday, August 28th, 2021 by Pastor Tim Voth. This is the seventh message in our summer sermon series entitled Faith in Action, Lessons Learned from Old Testament Saints. Check out sardisfellowship.com for more information about our church. So we've been going through a sermon series called Faith in Action, where we've been looking at the lives of different biblical characters listed in a New Testament letter called Hebrews. And these Old Testament characters have been forming a great cloud of people and have hopefully been inspiring you to live by faith, just as it would have inspired the church that it was originally written to. And there, in that church, Christians were being persecuted. Some of them were leaving the faith, some were reverting back to Judaism, and all of them were wondering, is it worth following Jesus? Here we are, suffering, uh, shrinking, dying, being mocked, ridiculed, and not even making a difference in the world. We give up. And the writer of Hebrews says, yes, exactly. What else did you expect? That is exactly what happened to the saints of old. None of them attained what they hoped for. And now picture yourself running a race, tired, beaten up, weary, not even sure if you'll make it over the finish line, and suddenly you look up. And you see a massive crowd all around you. And they're all cheering you on. And you look and you see Moses. And there he is. He's cheering you on. And you you look over there and you see Noah. And he's cheering you on. And you see all these men and women of old that are saying, you can do it. Run. Run the race. Do not give up. We all ran it. And you can do it too. And so the author of Hebrews is trying to get these weary Christians to look past the earthly crowds, discouraging them, to the heavenly cloud that is cheering them on to look by faith at all those who have walked the same path and to act with the same courage that they did. And one of those people in the crowd that I get to talk to today is Samuel. And here's what it says about Samuel. And Samuel. So there's not much there, but that means that we get some liberty to look at Samuel's life and kind of wonder what exactly the author thought would be encouraging about his story. And what I want to focus on, what I think is encouraging about the story of Samuel, is that Samuel served God faithfully. He served, he listened and obeyed, God, not idols, faithfully, over and over and over in trust. Even when he was discouraged, even when things didn't work out, he served God faithfully. And God saw his faith and his action, and used it for redemption in his kingdom and his world. And I think that's something in Samuel's life that had power to inspire the Israelites uh, who were living with him, and also the Hebrew congregation that the letter of Hebrews was written to, and I think also us here today. But before getting into his life story, I just want to say a bit about serving. What is serving? Uh, I think we all know it when we see it. I think humans do have an innate desire to serve. We want to decenter ourselves, to look to others and do what's good for them. We see this in people and we admire it. You know, when we think of the firefighters all around BC serving their communities right on the front lines of a blazing fire, people risking their lives for the good of the community. And in serving, we listen for a need and carry out the will of some greater good, like serving a neighbor, um, serving our country, our community, our church, our family, our spouse. To serve is to give our lives for something greater than ourselves that lasts beyond ourselves. 
And maybe you've experienced this here in our church uh, or in church. Maybe there's someone you look up to here that has really pulled through for you in a time of need. Someone who gave of their time, their energy, their effort, even their money. Someone who went out of their way to make you feel cared for in a time of need. And I know when each of our kids were born, uh, each of our four kids, uh, people really helped out by um, coming to our doorstep, bringing us meals, uh, amazing meals that were so delicious. And and it's amazing how uh, a small act like that can really make a huge impact for someone in a time of need. And so when we experience what it is like to be served and when we witness it, we know it. And we aim to be like that ourselves. So we know what it looks like to serve one another and this can even be part of how we serve God is by serving one another. But that desire to serve can be corrupted by idolatry. We can end up believing we're the center and that everything must serve our desires. Or even more dangerous, I think, is when our desire to do good leaves us vulnerable to manipulation. If a movement, an ideology, a political agenda, or cause, or even a church movement makes itself look like it's going to change the world for the better, we can get sucked in, even if it is corrupt. People give their lives to things that seem amazing only to look back and realize they were serving a narcissist, a facade, a dictator, or a false god. And that's the heart of it. When anything other than God is the center of our service, the Bible calls that thing an idol. And in Samuel's story, there are many examples of idolatry to contrast his faithful service. So let's start at the beginning, before Samuel was born. So Samuel's life is found in First and Second Samuel uh, in the Old Testament. The books are named after him because he kicks it off, but I think the book could just as well have been called Hannah, uh, who was his mom, who started the whole story off by serving God. She was barren, and then God gave her a child, and she lent him to the Lord by giving him over to the temple. Hannah's service leads to her son Samuel growing up in the temple and paves the way for him to be a servant leader. Hannah's service leads to something redemptive that she didn't see that, would have, that wouldn't have happened otherwise. This little boy early on list, learns to listen and to obey, to serve. In one story, Samuel hears God's voice calling him. He listens to God, beckoning him. The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli, the high priest at the time. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. One night, Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see, was lying down in his usual place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the house of the Lord where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel. Samuel answered, Here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, Here I am. You called me. And this happens a few times. And then Eli says, Look, maybe it's actually God calling you because I'm not calling you. And then Samuel says to God, Speak, for your servant is listening. And God speaks, and Samuel listens and obeys. Which, as a side note, I think helps us remember to not underestimate the genuine relationship that children can have with God. And so early on, we get this simple picture of serving, but it's contrasted with the idolatry of people around him, people who don't listen or who listen to other things and don't obey or actually obey other things. And the first of those are Eli's sons, Hophni and Phinehas, who also served in the temple with Samuel. 
And I think what they idolized, weirdly enough, was the temple. Here is what it says about them. Eli's sons were scoundrels. They had no regard for the Lord. They were scoundrels because they were breaking the law while in a, posi- in a position that gave them the appearance of holiness. They ate the best parts of the meat of the sacrifice. They roasted the sacrificial meat instead of boiling it. And they kept the fat instead of letting it burn on the altar. And I know that none of this makes sense to us or sounds like idolatry. But basically, back in the day, that was against the law of Moses, doing everything that they were doing. And ultimately, it says this of them. Eli's sons were scoundrels. They had no regard for the Lord. This sin of the young men was very great in the Lord's sight, for they were treating the Lord's offering with contempt. So while Samuel was listening to God and obeying him, Eli's sons were listening to the appetites of their flesh and listening to them. They idolized the temple because they made the temple and serving in it the ultimate fulfillment that would keep them safe and satisfy them above actually knowing their God, the living God, and following him. They trusted in their position in the institution to give them life, and their faith in the temple led them to actions that were corrupt and harmful for the people they were meant to serve. But they were not safe. And in a sober punishment, Hophni and Phinehas and their father are all killed on the same day, as it says at the end of chapter 2. And I think there's a sober warning in here for the Hebrew church and as for us as well as we look at this first idol in the story, the Hebrew Christians were considered a strange, obscure sect of Judaism and were potentially ostracized from the temple and were being persecuted more and more. Samuel's life would have inspired them to know that serving God isn't linked with a physical location or a religious institutional structure. They could serve God even outside the temple. And when the temple was destroyed in 70 AD, it didn't affect their relationship with God because they, they, as the gathering of believers, were the temple of God. And the same is true for us. I think in our Christian culture, we can sometimes mistake serving God for volunteering in the church. And it's very, very, very good to volunteer in the church. Volunteers are how this service on Sunday will be running. Um, Volunteers are how VBS ran in the summer. And when we work together as volunteers, we can make a huge impact. There were 130 kids, and there was a huge impact for Jesus as these kids and these families learned about him and had fun for the first time together in a very long time. And and volunteering is how Sardis Kids is going to run in the fall with Angela and Karina leading it. And um, please, please, by the way, sign up your kids. Register your kids online uh, for Sardis Kids in the fall. It really helps Karina and Angela know the numbers of what kids are going to be there or not. So please register your kids online. It's very easy. Um, But all that to say, volunteering in the church is good, but we need to make a distinction. I think a lot of hurt has been done in the church when it commands people to serve and give their lives, not to God, but to the church. When volunteering in church is equated with pleasing God. But let's be clear, you can serve God anywhere. Wherever you are listening to God and obeying him, there you are serving him. And be warned, I know that I am rebuked by this passage. We can sometimes rely on our attendance in a church building, our position as a volunteer in the church, or even our position as leaders and pastors to give us a sense of security before God and that we're okay with him. But it has never been about external position, status, or institution. Faith has always been about the heart and actions that align with God's heart. So if you volunteer here at Sardis, awesome. All the power to you. But let's check ourselves. 
Let's not be like Hophni and Phineas. Let's not use our position for corruption and self-gain. Instead, let's entrust ourselves to God himself and align our actions with his so that our volunteering can actually be serving God and serving others. So be in the institution, but not of it. And if you are not volunteering, that's okay. We'd love if you found a way to help out, and, but if you haven't found a ministry where you fit yet, that's okay. It sometimes takes time. In the meantime, you can contribute to the body of Christ by using your gifts to serve the people around you, just to love on them. But take stock of where God has placed you. Are you a stay-at-home parent? or a student, or a tradesperson, or in the education system, or a parent, or retired, or a neighbor, or a spouse, or citizen, or son, or daughter, graduated, between jobs, in government, wherever you are, listen to God, and obey, and in that way you serve him. And so as we keep going through the story, we see more idolatry. This time, it's the nation of Israel itself, and they begin to idolize the Baals and the Ashtaroth, Literal, physical idols that represent the crops that sustained them and the fertility that multiplied them. And before we get too high and mighty uh, and think that the people of the past were so archaic and silly for bowing before literal idols, uh, all we have to do is, is think of some of the status symbols we cling to and basically worship in our day and age. The things that we trust to give us money, um, sex, children, power, safety, security, health, wealth, and so on. Humans continue to idolize. They just, the idols have changed. But listen to this. There's a glimpse of hope. Samuel has grown up now. He's not a child anymore. And he's kept serving the Lord over and over. And he calls Israel to do the same. So Samuel said to all the Israelites, If you are returning to the Lord with all your hearts, then rid yourselves of the foreign gods and the Ashtaroths and commit yourself to the Lord and serve him only. And he will deliver you out of the hands of the Philistines. So the Israelites put away their Baals and Ashtaroths, and served the Lord only. So that's great. They served God, but not faithfully. Didn't last very long. It was only a matter of time before a more subtle and complex idol captured their minds, government. So up until this point, God had been their king. They were a theocracy. When they were being attacked, they would just they trusted God and he would raise up an army from within their people and he would raise up judges and he would, by miracles, deliver them over and over. Uh, but they wanted something more reliable. They wanted a king like the other nations. And here's what it says. So all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. They said to him, you are old. It's nice. And your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint a king for us, or to lead us, such as the other nations have. But when they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord, and the Lord told him, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king, as they have done from the day I brought them out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods. So they are doing to you. Now listen to them. but." Warn them solemnly and let them know what the king who will reign over them will claim as his rights. Listen to that sadness conveyed by God. He's been rejected and they're making a terrible choice. And they've pinned the blame on God. It's his fault. Here's how one commentator put it. They have been mistaken 
in assessing their problem as a political problem and consequently opting for a political solution. What Samuel seeks to clarify for them is that their problem is not political but spiritual. Their political solution will solve nothing unless it is accompanied by a spiritual solution. So he sees their choice, but he can't just simply steamroll over their will. So in a divine act of what might be mercy and punishment combined, he allows them to choose a king. God is sad. Samuel is sad. But he listens and obeys. And again, there's a warning in here for the Hebrew church that the letter of Hebrews was written to, and for us. The Hebrew congregation must have wished for different political power in place, one that was more sympathetic to their obscure sect of Judaism, one that wasn't actively persecuting them. And the same may go for us. Now, before I go further, I just want to say that I'm so thankful that I live in a democracy, and I do pray that it is sustained and that freedom is sustained. I think it's very, 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 very important to vote. This is the way that the people have a say and have a voice uh, in our governing structure. And so on September 20th, mark your calendar, vote. Please go vote in the federal election on September 20th. It's important to think through and pray through political issues, candidates, policies, legislation, and to land on decisions and convictions, and to write your MLAs, mayor, and other people in power, and when the timing is right, to discuss these with other Christians. Even if we disagree with one another, which we inevitably will, in a manner full of charity, humility, with listening, giving benefit of the doubt, willing to learn, not strawmanning people's arguments, all with patience and above all, love. So I am thankful for democracy, but while political landscapes have changed over the years, from tribes to theocracies to feudal systems and monarchies to democracies and republics, and the people within those systems have changed, the one thing that remains the same is God. And we can pray that the government and leaders would not be corrupt and for changes in the system, and that's good to do. But let us take warning lest we find our ultimate security, safety, assurance, trust, allegiance, and hope in government, policies, politicians, leaders, movements, ideologies, or the like. They all change. Some moments they are more sympathetic to Christians. Other times, they're more like what's happening in Afghanistan. We trust in God alone through turmoil, hardship, persecution, and trouble. Even when the masses want what isn't great, like the Israelites wanting a king, we don't serve idols. We serve God faithfully. But here's the interesting thing about Samuel serving God. It's messy. I mean, look at it. He's surrounded by idolaters. He's serving God faithfully, but his kids aren't following the Lord, just like Eli's kids weren't. And the people he's trying to serve are making one horrible decision after another. And he must feel like at times, no, no, God, sorry, no, I'm giving up. I've been planting and planting and planting and working and working and working and serving and serving and serving, but there is no fruit. He could have said that. And maybe sometimes he felt it. But instead, he serves God with faith. Faith in what? Faith that God will see his service and see his heart and somehow work out this jumbled mess for good. He trusts that God is working in every detail 
working with the people to turn each horrible, bad, idolatrous decision for the best possible outcome in light of their moral failings. The people want a king. This is a mistake. And yet, in God's grand design, they are serving him. So over my vacation a while ago, I was able to do some reading. Not for church, not for school, just my own enjoyment. And I read through The Problem of Pain by C.S. Lewis, which I know it doesn't sound like joy reading, but it was, and it's actually a really good book that I would recommend. Um, and, and in it, he said this, which stood out to me in light of what we're talking about. Now, the fact that God can make complex good out of simple evil does not excuse, though it may by mercy save, those who, are, those who do the simple evil. And this distinction is central. Offenses must come, but woe to those by whom they come. Sins do cause grace to abound, but we must not make that an excuse for continuing to sin. The crucifixion itself is the best as well as the worst of all historical events. But the role of Judas remains simply evil. We may apply this first to the problem of other people's suffering. A merciful man aims at his neighbor's good, and so does God's will consciously cooperating with the simple good. A cruel man oppresses his neighbor, and so does simple evil. But in doing such evil, evil, he is used by God without his own knowledge or consent to produce the complex good, so that the first man serves God as a son, and the second as a tool. For you will certainly carry out God's purpose however you act, but it makes a difference to you whether you serve like Judas or like John. So while we could say, okay, uh, any decision I make, God's going to work it out for good anyways. My actions don't matter. But what he is saying is that they do matter. They really, 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 really matter. Every single act, every single decision has a real-life consequence, consequences that impact the present and the future of our whole world. And I genuinely don't think that that's overstating it. Yes, God used their awful decision. But who did he ultimately work through in the story? the man who listened to him and obeyed. When we fail, God works it for good, yes. But we are never quite allowed to know what it could have been had we not failed to hear him and obey. And so listen, serve God faithfully. And now, before saying more about the complexity of serving God, there's one more example of idolatry. Samuel obeys God, even though he didn't quite understand what God was up to. Uh, He listens and obeys and chooses Saul to be king over Israel. But Saul idolizes something. And as usual, what he idolizes sounds good. He idolized sacrifice. We've seen idolization of the temple and institution, uh, idolization of government structure, and now idolization of sacrifice. Samuel wants Saul to wait to make an offering before one of his first battles. But after waiting a bunch of days, Samuel hasn't shown up, and Saul sees that he's losing strategic time, and the army's motivation is dropping, and so he makes the sacrifice himself, which might seem wise. But then Samuel shows up and says this, You have done foolishly. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God with which he commanded you. For then the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever, but now your kingdom shall not continue. And then a little later he says, This, which I think is so profound and worth thinking about for a long time. Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifice as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than to sacrifice, and to listen 
than the fat of rams. So again, okay, follow me here. Listening and obeying is how we faithfully serve God. But sometimes we can rely on our own busyness to prove to God that we're good people who love him and love others. But we're not actually listening to him or obeying him. Sometimes in sacrificing, we're simply obeying our guilt or our assumptions of what's demanded of us. It's like the story I heard of an old married couple. For years and years, the husband worked in the yard, slaving away to make it clean and tidy and to make the flowers grow and to build the shed. And he knew his wife liked a a nice clean yard and that, that she liked the yard. But after all these years, she said she felt unloved. And he was astonished. How? I did everything for you. I slaved away. What more could I have done? And she said, the whole time you were working away, I just wanted you to come inside and spend some time with me. His love language, to put it this way, was service. Um, Hers was quality time. And they were like ships passing in the night. He could have had a better marriage and such a better time if he simply asked her, what would make you feel loved if he listened? and then made the proper sacrifices. The same is true of God. Don't just be busy for him. What is he calling you to? And are you listening to him? One poem by John Milton, an amazing writer that began to go blind and could no longer serve God with his writing like he used to, wrote a poem about his blindness called When I Consider How My Light Is Spent. In it, he writes this line. God does not need either man's work or his own gift. Who best bear his mild yoke, they serve him best. His state is kingly. Thousands at his bidding speed and post over land and ocean without rest. They also serve who only stand and wait. Basically, God doesn't need you to serve him. God doesn't need your busyness. He doesn't need anything. He's God. He wants to give you the gift of learning to serve. And it's different for each person. We're all unique with our own gifting and skills and minds and hearts and desires and passions and weaknesses and limitations, failings and temptations. And God knows you and he knows how he wants to use your life to serve him and his kingdom. Maybe he has called you to go over land and ocean without rest. Maybe in this season he's called you to stand and wait. Listen to him. And if you can't hear him, if you're like, what does it mean to listen to God? A good place to start is ask others in the body of Christ. Who am I? What has God gifted me with? How can I serve him in my context? What might this season of serving God look like for me? God can speak to us through the voice of others in the body. Are you listening? But back to Samuel for one last point. So imagine being Samuel. You're you're serving God faithfully, but literally nothing is working out. Again, your children are rebellious. The nation is rebellious. The first king is a failure and does more damage than when they had no king. But this is why I think he's in the hall of faith. He trusted God with his service. Even when he couldn't see the fruit of his labor, even when it seemed like everything was, he was doing was making things worse, even when he couldn't understand how God was working or why he was doing the things he was, the way he was, He didn't use his literal eyes to measure his effectiveness and fruit and success and from that think, ah, yes, okay, I must be serving God because everything's working out. He's blessing everything I do. No, he listened and obeyed even while everything was going wrong 
and he did it over and over and over. Saul didn't work out. And God tells him, go find another king, David. Yes, God, I will follow. He didn't say, nope, monarchy clearly isn't the way to go. I'm out. He served. And through his sacrifice, through transitioning Israel from a theocracy to a monarchy, he paved the way for the true king of kings, Jesus, who would come one day, not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So take this last passage Samuel says in his farewell address. Take this passage as if it's to you. Listen. The people all said to Samuel, Pray to the Lord your God for your servants so that we will not die. For we have added to all our other sins the evil of asking for a king. Do not be afraid, Samuel replied. You have done all this evil. Yet do not turn away from the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. Do not turn away after useless idols. They can do you no good, nor can they rescue you, because they're useless. For the sake of his great name, the Lord will not reject his people, because the Lord was pleased to make you his own. As for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by failing to to pray for you. And I will teach you the way that is good and right. But be sure to fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart. Consider what great things he has done for you. He doesn't give up on serving God by serving the people. He keeps praying for them and keeps teaching them even though they've messed up. And so I don't know where you're at, but if you have been idolizing something, whether it's church, institution, government, sacrificing, a million other things we can idolize, if you've sinned, If you've made mistakes, if you've made some really bad choices, confess and know this, that the Lord will not reject his people. Don't let your past disqualify you from serving him now. Serve the Lord with all your heart. And right now, think of where you are in life. Maybe you are a stay-at-home parent and you put in hours and hours of taking care of children and you're not seeing fruit and things aren't going your way. Don't give up. Serve God faithfully. You're raising the next generation. You may not see the impact you are having, but by faith, trust that God is using you in an absolutely fundamental way that no one else could do, and it's making a real difference. Or maybe in your job. It's frustrating, and things aren't going well, and you work hard, and you try hard, but no difference is being made, and things just get worse, or or your coworkers are challenging. Serve God faithfully. When you do, you make a real difference in the kingdom, even if you can't see it. Or maybe as you age, there are things you can no longer do for God that you used to. Listen to his voice. How is he calling you to serve him in this season? So whoever you are, wherever you are, listen to his voice. If you serve God and serve others, you will have a redemptive impact like Samuel in the future of your life, your family, your marriage, your children, your coworkers, your classmates, your neighbors, your sports friends, your city, your world, and history itself. Allow God himself to smash your idols and obey him instead. And he will make your life a redemptive presence in our generation and will affect change through you to influence the future as well, even when you can't see it, just like he did for Samuel. So look to Samuel in the crowd as you run the race of faith this week and serve. Listen and obey. God not idols, faithfully, 
over and over and over again in trust. So I've got some discussion questions that you can discuss together. One, what are some examples of modern-day idols we worship? What happens to us when we serve idols and not God? Two, have you ever seen God work out evil into complex good? How have you seen your serving play a part in God's grand design to make good out of bad? And three, how does the life of Samuel encourage you in your life to have faith in action? So thanks for watching. Go in God's peace, and we hope to see you back here next week. Thanks for listening to the Sardis Fellowship Sermon Podcast. For more information on Sardis Fellowship, please check out sardisfellowship.com.